This is the Sticks and Stacks podcast with Sean Drotar and Nate Lundy. Welcome to Sticks and Stacks on the Sawdust Podcast Network. My name is Sean Drotar, your host, as we bring you the best in baseball and hockey. And you don't get better in hockey than this. It is the Stanley Cup final. So joining us is our hockey expert, Nate Lundy. You can follow him on Twitter at Nate Lundy. How's it going, Nate? I am good, Sean. I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still carrying a little bit of bitterness from Monday night. I'm not going to lie because uh, I had under on the five and a half goals in game one. And of course, we had that meaningless one from Tampa uh, with about a minute 10 left to go that that made the final five to one. And I missed out on my under. But hey, like we always say, got to shake the etch-a-sketch and start over. So how about a little game two action tonight? Yeah, and you warned about that. We always have to watch out in, in hockey yep. on that late, last second, the empty netters, things like that. You warned exactly about that. So I think you had it pegged. It was just the uh, the one thing you hoped wouldn't happen did indeed happen. Well, obviously the Lightning looked very good in Game 1, 5-1. The Canadians looked to be out overmatched in this series substantially. But then again... We've been saying that the whole playoffs. Here they are, still standing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, down 3-1 to Toronto, people didn't give them a chance. Then you move on to that second round against Winnipeg, and I, you know, I think that one could have been a toss-up. But to watch Montreal sweep the Jets right out of the playoffs was huge. And then, I mean, Sean, let's be honest. I mean, next to nobody gave them a chance at the beginning of the series against Vegas, uh, and they wound up taking care of business, and now here they are in the final. And I think that to a certain extent, you keep counting this team team out and there's some talent on this squad there are some players that um, I think are playing free playing loose I mean I I think a lot of what happened in game one the five to one final um, you know I like to remind people that game was two to one going into the third period Um, and really just Carey Price had a bad uh, you know had a bad 20 minute span I mean he did not play one of his better uh, third periods that he had and in fact if you go back and look over the course of this entire 2021 playoffs Carey Price had not given up more than four goals until Monday night. So it was very uncharacteristic of what we've seen from him. And, you know, I, I know some folks have said, well, you, you look at the uh, the offensive firepower that Tampa has. Well, you know, Sean and I, you, you and I both know that Vegas had an incredible offensive firepower. I mean, a lot of these teams Montreal has played has that firepower. So I'm not buying into that narrative. I think Carey Price just had kind of on the tail end of that game, just had a bad game um, to finish it off. Um, I still think that Tampa would have probably won that game, but I definitely don't think it should have been five to one I think that contest was much closer than that I would agree with that I think that's an important thing to think about and like we've talked about once the Stanley Cup playoffs start you throw the records out so ignore the fact that Montreal was 24 21 and 11 since the playoffs began they're 12 and 5 and that's what you should be thinking of when you look at this matchup uh, I agree with you I think it just got out of hand I don't think this is a five to one type of matchup all the way through. So what do you see? Obviously, it was a slow start for Montreal in game one. They probably can't afford that in game two. But what do you think we'll see? Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. We saw a slow start. It actually took them all the way until the second period to get that um, that goal. And, you know, what, what was interesting in that game, Sean, was if you go back and you kind of watched the flow of the game on Monday night, Montreal at the very beginning was actually out shooting the Lightning. The, the Habs came out really aggressive to start that game. And I think that we're going to see that same thing here um, as we roll into the game tonight, as you and I record here on Wednesday before game two. I think we're going to see that same thing. I think the Canadians need to 
come out and continue to pepper some shots uh, as best they can against Andre Vasilevsky because I think the way that you beat him is to pepper with shots. Now, that said, when we saw Game 7 between the Islanders and the Lightning, the thing that I thought was the undoing for the Islanders to be able to potentially take that series and be in the final themselves was that they were firing shots at Vasilevsky, but they did not have their forwards crowding the net to be able to get that rebound, to get that second opportunity. Um, And to me, that is something that Montreal is going to need to be able to uh, uh, try to correct here going into Game 2. They weren't quite as bad as what we saw from the Islanders, I think, in Game 7. But Montreal's got to be able to crowd these forwards up and see more shots on goal from their forwards. You look at someone like Nick Suzuki, for example, who is having a spectacular playoff series um, as we go through here for the Habs. He had zero shots on goal in Game 1, and that just doesn't seem right for a guy that really, as I said, has had a very good playoff. So I would look for this game to start off with um, uh, with Montreal trying to do exactly what they did in Game 1, which is try to get the edge in shots on goal early on, try not to play from behind. They're really not a team um, that has had a lot of success playing from behind, so they need to be able to either score first or at least answer immediately if Tampa scores first. Now, one of the things that was interesting in Game 1 is that the Lightning scored two times off the rush, basically. And against Vegas, they allowed one goal that way. So Montreal has played better in the neutral zone. They haven't had that kind of issue. And part of it was due to the the fact that Joel Armia was missing from game one. He was on the COVID-19 protocol list. Uh, he was able to warm up in game one, but he wasn't able to play because they just weren't ready to throw him in. Now, it's not a guy we're going to talk about very much, but he's a critical penalty killer. Yes. He's part of that fourth line, that checking line. Now he's expected to play in game two. It may be that the Canadians feel like they're going to be whole again, and that may be able to change what they can do as far as limiting the the lightning because these two teams hit like crazy in game one. It was a 58 <laughs> to 57 uh, hit advantage by the Canadian, but here's the thing. That number, 57 and 58, that was the highest for both of those teams all year. I would say a, a, a physical game, the more physical it gets – is what levels the playing field for Montreal, right? Yeah, I, I agree, would agree with you. And I think that part of that was also Montreal wanting to set a tone. And I think Tampa accepted that tone and said, okay, if this is how you want to play, then we're going to we're gonna play the same way. We're going to try to push back and fight back uh, in the same way. And I think that the same aggression that I mentioned uh, a minute ago about how Montreal started off the game with the lead in shots on goal, I, if I remember correctly, at one point, I think it was 12-5 or 12-7, something like that, in favor of the Habs. Uh, and then Tampa came storming back and doing what they do with that um, with that deadly line that they've got across the top uh, led by Kucherov. So I think that um, you know Montreal was trying to set a tone and I think you point out a really good statistic that sometimes we don't talk about when we're talking about betting or we're talking about fantasy which is those hits because it does uh, have a tendency to set sort of a tone um, for the game itself and I think you're right. Setting it that early and seeing such a high number out of both of these teams when we only saw a grand total of 46 shots and I know that seems uh, maybe to to somebody that's uh, uh, you know kind of on the outside looking in at hockey as a big number, but 46 is not a very large number um, in the grand scheme of things from hockey. And I think what was happening is those hits um, and a lot of block shots were knocking guys off the puck and keeping them from having that opportunity. And Montreal, if they want to even this series tonight and make it 2-2, um, they're going to have to find a way to turn um, some of the um, it, uh, the hits into an opportunity for a takeaway and maybe get themselves a rush, Sean, as you were just talking about. Yeah, obviously that that forechecking is going to be a major part of this game. Interesting to note that the loser 
of Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final has been your cup champion the last three years. So now that I've spent all this time telling you that Montreal has a chance, Nate, what do you see happening tonight? Well, from a betting standpoint, and I know we're going to talk about some specific players here in a minute, but let me talk about it just from a betting standpoint right now. There's two things that I like when I look at um, the betting within this game, and I can tell you right now that if you put these two things together in a parlay, it's going to give you plus 200 odds, which is pretty good. So it kind of tells you that I'm taking a little bit uh, of a flyer with both of these picks. Right now, as of when we tape, I'm going to stick with the under on five goals. It is right at five. Um, It does not involve a hook this time. It's not five and a half. It's just at five. Um, But it's actually plus odds on that. And I, again, I say that I don't think that what we saw from Carey Price in Game 1 is what we're going to see here in Game 2. And I think that's going to limit the scoring opportunities for Tampa. And by doing that, I think you're going to bring the score down. So I'm going to take the under on the 5. And I'm also going to take Montreal on the puck line. Not the money line, but the puck line, which means they're getting a plus 1.5. And, um, and that's actually juiced up to a minus 155. So it is juiced up a bit. But I think that juice is worth it. And I go back to what I said at the very beginning of the podcast, Sean, that you and I talked about. This game was 2-1 to one going into the third period. I think this game tonight has the chance to be close, and so by taking Montreal at a plus 1.5 on the puck line, it means that there's basically three different results that can work in my favor. Obviously, if Montreal were to win outright, that is clearly in our favor if we're taking the puck line. But the other thing that it does is it plays in my favor if this is a close game, which I think it will be tonight, and it also plays in my favor if this game were to go to overtime. Because then, no matter what the result is, my puck line is going to pay off. So I'm willing to pay that juice tonight because I do think that this game, too, is going to play much closer than what we saw uh, that third period play out uh, in game one. I think there might be a little bit of recency bias there, people thinking that perhaps Tampa and what we saw in the third period is going to carry over. I actually think what we saw in the first and second periods is going to be more likely what we see here in game two. And for people who are new to that, that that lack of a hook on the over-under that you're discussing ends up protecting the better. Yeah, it can, because if you fall into that 3-2 to two score, which, uh, you know, as we talked about uh, before with uh, uh, with Montreal and Tampa, they played, between the two of them, they played 13 games in the semifinal round, and 10 of those games had a final score of exactly 5, either 3-2, to 4-1, to one, that kind of thing. Um, so we're looking at teams where that 5 number, which is very popular in the NHL um, when we're setting lines, but you're right, it's, it gives you somewhat of a protection, because if it does finish right at five it's a push and your bet comes back to you we're going to take a look at specific players to watch in game two especially for you dfs folks we'll do that next right here on sticks and stacks welcome back to sticks and stacks my name is sean drotar your host you can follow me on twitter if you'd like it s-d-r-o-t-a-r joining me today is our hockey expert nate lundy you can follow nate on twitter at nate lundy and nate For the DFS folks, let's take a look at some players in this game that may end up being valuable or the folks who are looking at player props. There's a lot of different options tonight. So, Sean, there's a, there's a couple of stats that we can look at, especially when we talk about um, some DFS. Obviously, when it comes to betting, we can talk about assists and goals, and that also plays into our DFS. But there's a couple of things that obviously also play into DFS. Um, blocked shots, which in an aggressive game, um, as we were talking about, like we saw in Game 1, can play into things. You can see um, you know, a guy like uh, Eric Chernock, for example, who is a guy known for blocking shots, had a couple of them in Game 1 for Montreal, trying to control that Tampa attack. Um, but also the shots on goal. Um, 
Um, and, you know, I, I think that we saw a lot of aggression um, out of a couple of the defensemen. Um, Jeff Petrie, um, specifically for Montreal, also Shea Weber, who actually had five shots on goal in game one. He was trying to be as aggressive as he could uh, coming off of that blue line. Um, you know, we can look at Yanni Gord, who, um, you know, had a goal in game one, but also three shots to go along with that. Um, you know, I think there's some aggression out of some of these guys that can get you those ancillary points in DFS. But obviously, whether we're talking about bets or we're talking about DFS, the place where you're going to get the biggest payoff is when we're talking shots, we're talking assists, and we're talking goals, obviously, because you've got a lot. Unfortunately, with Tampa, we've seen them be so top-heavy that you're probably going to wind up paying, in a DFS standpoint, a lot of your salary to be able to grab some of those guys off the top line. But when we look at Montreal, who I think is going to have a little bit better game tonight, even if they come up on the losing end on the scoreboard, there were a couple of things that stood out to me. Brendan Gallagher continues to be a guy that is peppering the nets with shots. Uh, if we're looking at from a betting standpoint, his over-under on shots on goal at two, is at 2.5 for tonight. I think he gets to 3, which is exactly what he did in Game 1. There's a guy that I want to be able to look at. And I mentioned Nick Suzuki early on here in the podcast in the first half as a guy that had zero shots on goal in the first game. That is going to change. I do not think Suzuki's going to sit there with a minus 3 uh, on his plus-minus as he did in the first game. So I like Suzuki to be able to get a point. He may not score, but I think we're going to see some shots uh, from him, at least two. I also think we're going to probably see at least an assist out of him. So I think he's a point getter uh, that you can go with. And then another guy that you can look for on the Tampa side, and I know this is a name that uh, you know we're very familiar with, but he's been sort of up and down, Sean. And that's Steven Stamkos, um, who had a goal uh, in game number one, including three shots on goal. And he has been at times a feast or famine type of guy, Sean. So he is one of these people that, uh, you know, he might be able to get you some great points for DFS or even potentially from a betting standpoint, or he can also be kind of quiet. Uh, unfortunately, you ride a little bit of a, a tidal wave with him. Now, it's been revealed at the time of recording here that Alex Kalorn, who blocked a shot in game one and was not able to continue for very many shifts after that, is going to be out for game two. He is tied for second on the team in goals in this postseason. He's fourth in points. He's obviously a big player to lose. And on top of that, Tampa's been very healthy in the postseason. They have not had any game where they've had to change their forward lineup. How much can the, this disrupt what they want to do? And are there particular guys that can step up? Because at the moment, it appears they may not even dress a forward. They could potentially add Luke Shen in defensively and and move things around that way. Yeah, they, they could. They obviously could decide that they want to get some extra defense. They could expect that same kind of push uh, that we, you and I have been talking about from Montreal that wants to try to keep up what they were doing in the first period. I think that I would look, when you look at Kalorn, you talk about the guy who's got eight goals, nine assists in this um, in this postseason. Um, obviously, if we want to stick to the forwards that could um, come in and fill some of that gap, um, I think we look at a couple of guys. One is Blake Coleman. Um, Coleman's only got one goal. Uh, here in the postseason, but he has seven assists so far. So a guy that finds his way into participating um, in those offensive strikes. Um, and then the other one that, that I would look at is, actually, I'll give you two, I, I, Anthony Sorelli and Andre Pilat. Um, Pilat is a guy that, again, um, kind of seems to find his way in every now and then. You know, I mean, he'll be really quiet. You might go through a period or a period and a half where you feel like you haven't really heard his name very much, and then all of a sudden, bam, he slams a goal. He 
He's got 10 points here in the postseason, four goals, six assists. Um, and those are uh, very similar numbers, actually identical numbers for Anthony Sorelli. Four goals, six assists, another guy that can step up from the, from the forward position. Young talent. He's only 23 years old for Tampa. Obviously, Palat has been playing much longer, um, you know, sitting at 29 years old. He's got the experience. But those are two guys that are more than capable of stepping up for Tampa. All right, Nate, let's take a look at it here. We know Kalorn now out for game two. So uh, we'll go back to what you, what you picked in the earlier game when you talk about the over-unders, when you look at the puck line, when you look at what I think is a pretty clever parlay that might be able to get people into the plus. Yeah, we're looking at under five goals. Um, there's not a hook involved, at least on the straight line. You can obviously alt-line it if you want to. You can push that up to five and a half, um, which is you know somewhat common um, for folks to be able to do. You give up a little bit of the juice, but you get yourself that hook if you want to make sure you don't get the push. And I also like Montreal on the puck line, which is the plus one and a half, um, meaning that, you know, in a one goal game, which we see in overtime uh, or that we see a lot, frankly, uh, over the course of Stanley Cup playoff games, it means that Montreal covers even if they come up on the losing end. And as you said, if you put both of those things together, under five and Montreal on the puck line, it turns into a plus 200 uh, on a two leg parlay for you. A couple of guys that I like as we look um, in uh, uh, player props uh, and or your DFS lineups. I like Nick Suzuki, who had a bad game on Monday. I think he can bounce back the hockey uh, the NHL tends to be a law of averages so if you see a player that dips down in shots or in opportunities in one game they tend to rebound in the next and they get back to what their season averages or their playoff averages were so I like Nick Suzuki and in fact I like him from a betting standpoint to get a point um, and then shots on goal I'm expecting Brendan Gallagher to continue to do what he has been doing um, which is peppering the net with shots he had three in game one I can see him at three possibly four here tonight and his over under on shots on goal is two and a half so not only is he good from a dfs standpoint to get you those points and shots but he's also good from a betting standpoint all right well we'll be back for you with game three coming up but game two here are your options for tonight nate lundy is the man to follow for the latest his twitter handle is nate lundy my name's sean drotar your host you can follow me if you'd like it s-d-r-o-t-a-r game two is upon us we'll be back to break that one down and look at all the opportunities in Game 3, Friday, when you catch us next, thanks for listening to Sticks and Stacks on the Sawdust Podcast Network. 